everybody. Welcome to the Dr. Psych Mom Show. Today I'm going to be talking about Fair Play, which is a book by Eve Rodsky and um, it is supposed to make your marriage more equitable. So I will give you my review of that uh, just as soon as I tell you to subscribe because I have great uh, subscriber-only podcasts coming out. Most recently, Nobody Likes a Whiner, the differentiating between being an emotional man and a whiny man. And um, Stop Telling Your Wife to Get a Hobby, which is funny because uh, of this book. talks lots and lots about hobbies, but it calls it Unicorn Space. So if if you've been listening to me, you know I probably don't like terms like unicorn space. <laughs> but I mean, I was really trying to keep an open mind with this book because uh, somebody recommended it in my Facebook group, which you should join if you are interested in things like psychology and, you know, all the shit I talk about. Um, anyhow, so let's dive right into the book. I don't like the book. So let's just, it, like, the there's some good parts, I guess, I, I honestly, like, it's funny, I like The Surrendered Wife better than this book. And you would never think that the two titles, Fair Play and The Surrendered Wife, would have anything to do with one another. You would think they were totally different. They actually have quite a lot of overlap, except The Surrendered Wife sounds like she still may have a husband who has a pair of testicles, whereas The Fair Play doesn't. And I'll talk about why um, I see this distinction. So... The entire premise of like my relational approach vis-a-vis couples uh, counseling and even working with individuals about their relationships is to stop scorekeeping. Like literally I have uh, posts like scorekeeping is toxic for the marriage. I have a podcast on the only kind of good scorekeeping. Spoiler alert, it's when you're tallying up the shit the other person does, not what you do. So like this runs counter to everything that I think. Sitting down with, so what you have to do is sit down. You can read the book. I mean, it really doesn't take that long. It's, um, you get, there's like all these things, you know, like pet care, uh, making the meals every day, uh, holiday cards, you know, things that are everyday things and then things that are not everyday things. And you got to kind of decide together which things you should keep and which things you shouldn't keep because, um, you know, what things are really important and which ones just make people upset because they're doing them all the time. And, and really, maybe you can assume that, that you can get them off your plate, but out of the things that are left, you're supposed to divide them equally or equitably, even if everybody doesn't have the same amount of cards, there's um, there's an equitable distribution that both people agree with. But the premise uh, that, that I really, it's, it's hard for me, the premise is, is that kind of one of the major points of this book is because um, that, that this book was written is because the woman was over-functioning so dramatically. She had a single mother, so this is all that she saw. She, she was over-functioning. You could go back to my podcast on over-functioning. And so she was pretty much doing everything. And um, the guy was the one working, and then she was working, but then she stepped back at work. She went part-time after the kids were born. Whatever. There's like their whole story interwoven with all these other stories, uh, you know, of couples. And um, and how they divide things. And, and basically the first was basically her saying that she and all of her friends do everything and their husbands are kind of useless except for paid work. Now, as somebody who's a primary breadwinner, I, 
I don't think that paid work is is useless. I mean, I know she doesn't outright say it, but there's this whole thing about time and that the time spent taking your kid to the doctor is like the same as the time spent making money. Now, I mean, I'm not one to invoke the specter of privilege very often. I don't think I use that term, um, you know, even a tenth of of as much as my compatriots, but give me a break. (laughs) Like, you know, you can't take your kid to the doctor if you don't have any money to pay the doctor. So there is some point at which we got to say that paid work is pretty fucking important. And that does not seem to be put in here. And the, the main point of the beginning of the book seems to be that the women are somehow unable, despite being uh, highly educated and able verbally to write an entire book, you know, somehow just when the man asks, how can I help? They sputter and say, I don't know, just find something. And then they're up in the middle of the night doing like all this shit and basically textbook over-functioning. I would have loved if this would have, you know, like, listen, every book can't be everything. But I personally would have been more interested if this would have gone into like, why on a deep, deep level did she feel that she had to be such an over-functioner, people pleaser, like she grew up like this, etc. And maybe her standards are really extremely high. Something she has, like people decide not to do birthday parties anymore or something. But overall, there's an idea that... Um, like like color war like her husband took the card for color war and he didn't have the right shirt so then there's this idea of would a jury of your peers think that this did harm and if so yes yes they would is is implied because the child doesn't fit in anymore at color war because he doesn't have the yellow shirt so therefore most people would decide that this was terrible and so therefore the man fell down on the job and I don't really know what his um, punishment is Perhaps it's having this whole book written about him. But um, there's there's some sort of, um, you know, it's so, it's so, so tit for tat. I mean, that's literally the point of the book. So honestly, for me, it doesn't go deep enough. But then again, it was not meant to be a psychology book. It's meant to be like a systems approach for, in a business-like way, making your marriage more equitable which it's, I see that as not great because the many of the couples that I see, their marriage already too much like a business and they don't need it to be more like a business. And unfailingly, when I discuss chores with women and men and couples counseling, there always seems to be deeper issues at play than the chores. So in this So I, myself as a therapist, would want to work with women so that why are you doing all of these things and just kind of assuming that he can't do them? Never are you just literally asking him to do them. Why do you need a 100 cards when many of the women I work with are like, you know, most are very smart, highly educated women. Why would you need these cards? Like you're allowed to just say, I don't want to do laundry anymore. It's too much for me. And you want a marriage where the man would be like, okay, I will. And if your husband will not do the laundry, I am telling you, it's not because he thinks your time is less valuable than his. I've never seen a man say this thing that she says is so ubiquitous. It's not ubiquitous among the men that I see. I've, I, they really put their wives on pedestals in terms of what the woman does at home, but rather because you don't actually say it and mean it and literally say, I'm not doing laundry anymore. If you say I'm not doing laundry anymore because I can't, 
you don't do laundry anymore. That's how it goes. Anytime I've really worked with a woman to do this, the man has stepped forth and done it. So if you need a hundred cards to help you do this, okay, but here's my analogy. If anybody here has migraines or chronic back pain or any sort of chronic pain, you know those people that are like, hey, did you try Excedrin? And you're like, listen, motherfucker, if Excedrin would work, I wouldn't have migraines. Those aren't migraines. Those are like little, tiny, little fairy headaches. You know, if you've had migraines, you're like, yeah, right, I tried Excedrin. When I was eight years old, I tried Excedrin. Now let me show you the 20 things I've tried after that. So what I'm trying to say is if this book helps you, you got like the Excedrin level of um, of marital problems. So if you just want to somehow have something fun to do, but see, I don't even think it's fun per se. I think it could really be per pernicious to start this idea that we're going to score keep which is literally the point of the book which I've never seen score keeping go well unless you're trying to keep score of what the other person is doing I also did not see like any, I'm going to reread it. If I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. She frequently talks about that that leads to better sex, but I don't see in any of the cards any sexual thing, any physical thing, any like massage, any showering together, anything. Because the point is to make this like a better run business, and I guess they want to keep sex out of the equation. But for at least half the population, sex is like extremely, extremely important for the physical touch love language partner. So, what the, the other analogy that I kept thinking about was could you imagine if a man came to his wife and he's like here's a hundred things that I watched on porn this past month so what we're gonna do is we're gonna divide them 50 50 uh any reasonable jury would say that a man ought to experience all of 100 of these things you know certainly a jury of men so um we're gonna divide them you're gonna initiate half and I'm gonna initiate the other half here's your stack of cards the woman would shove that stack of cards up his ass which maybe it would be on his list so he would luck out but otherwise it might be uncomfortable so so she would be like, fuck you. You decided all these things is what you think of as a good sex life. I don't want to do any of those damn things. You're lucky I want to do anything after you approach me in such a business-like cold way about it. So what, I, what I'm saying is just because the woman thinks that there should be a hundred things on this list doesn't mean there should be. And back to the Excedrin analogy, she's, she's like, oh, you just kind of sit down and you like decide together which ones you think are important. Man, if you could decide that shit, would you need this book? Like the main things that people are fighting about are that one person is highly anxious over functioner and the other person is laid back. They don't talk about why these people found one another, which is what I talk about. You know, these codependent dynamics. Again, not a psychology book. So out of all my critiques, that is not, a, you know, valid because not trying to be a psychology book, although it moves over into kind of a pop psych domain at times. But um, it's more like, I guess, a sociological bent. But anyhow, the point is here, if people could agree that you don't have to do Christmas cards, great. The average people cannot agree on that. So then you end up with that the person who wants to do the thing ends up doing the thing, which makes sense to me that like actually makes sense to me unless they can't do the thing so like everybody wants clean clothes I want clean clothes so I'll, I'll use myself I want clean clothes I don't want to do the laundry I've actually never done the laundry my husband is great but my ex-husband did the laundry too because I don't like doing the laundry I really don't like doing the laundry so I don't do the laundry you know how the laundry gets done I don't ever do it. So beast the fuck out of me how it gets done, but it gets done because I don't do it. Here's something I do like to do. I like to do all the cooking, so I do it. It's like, 
if you are direct about what you need, you should not need a hundred cards. You really shouldn't. You shouldn't really need any cards. You should be able to say, I need this done. I need that done. I can't do it. What I like about the surrendered wife is she frequently says that the woman should say, I can't do this. So I say, I can't do the laundry. I have too much to do. I can't do it. It's something I don't, I used to be that the basement was very cold. I hate the cold. I always had a newborn baby. So I stopped doing it. And it got done <laughs> because a, a reasonable human being is go. Any guy that's going to use the fair play cards and get better would have also used direct discussion to get better. When the women are like, I just don't even know how to tell him everything that I do. And then there's a part where they start CCing the husband on everything they do. Like that is like so fucking passive aggressive. It's insane. Meanwhile, so let's say the guy is at a paid job. Should he CC her on everything he does at work? It's the same eight hours. Somebody's got to make money. I mean, this one just kind of blows my mind about the idea that the paid work is the same as the unpaid work because the paid work allows people to live and the other one doesn't. (laughs) So I've been both and I'll say it's certainly more important to do the paid work net net Of course, you still got to prepare meals, this, that, the other, but you can be so much more flexible with that stuff that uh, with the unpaid work than the paid work. For example, if I never wanted to cook again, I could order, I could get, you know, a takeout every day, or I could get the frozen dinners every day. I have that possibility, but if I wanted to maintain my job, I couldn't just, um, you know, not show up to my sessions, right? Like I couldn't just make a podcast that's just static. You know, there's a minimum requirement, whereas frequently for stuff in the home, there's not a minimum requirement. And if we pretend that there is, and we get into real weird stuff where we have to talk about what a jury of our peers would think, and that stuff just does not make any sense to me. That's like fairly nonsensical. So what I'm trying to get at is I think this makes most marriages feel more business-like, not less business-like. And the business-like component leaves out the romantic component, leaves out the sexual component. It leaves out the part where somebody actually wants to do something for you because you say you can't and then they want to fill in and be your hero who does the laundry versus that it's on their stack. I never see anybody excited about doing shit that's on their stack. You know, that that is just like making the home into a place where there is work that doesn't get you recognition, doesn't get you appreciation. And if the women are in fact saying to their husbands, I do all of this stuff and the guy is saying, yeah, fuck you, it's meaningless. I have actually never seen that in reality. The reality is, is the guys are like, why is she saying all this? There must be something that she wants me to do. I don't know what it is. Because when I say, what can I do about this? She says, I don't know, just figure it out. Also, frequently in this, she says that if women forward something to their husband and say, can you handle this? The man doesn't do it. I'm not, I, I, I don't know why because I work with many, many couples and they say, oh, I forward financial stuff, for example, to my husband and he deals with it all the time. So just start forwarding some other stuff to your husband. If your husband really thinks that little of you that he ignores your emails, you have such a bigger problem than fair play cards. If your husband's really looking down on you for taking the kid to the doctor versus having paid work, then you got a bigger problem. So a lot of that stuff cannot be rectified by something like fair play cards. Now, 
everything is, you know, has its positives and negatives. So the unicorn space idea, I thought it's a stupid name, but that's just me. I really hate things like that, <laughs> that are corny like that. But it means to find your passion. Sure, find your passion, have a hobby that you really like, start writing a book, do whatever, find the time for that. I don't think you need a deck of cards to allow people in a loving partnership to say, I want to pursue my passion, but if you... Um, if, if you don't do that, if you feel anxious about saying that to a partner and it helps you to have this unicorn space idea, that's great. Everybody should try to self-actualize. That's cool. Um, I do see that, that that would be a nice thing to talk about in general is how can we both self-actualize and do stuff that's important to us. That should be part of the general discussions that go on in a relationship. Also, there's this idea that I'm of two minds about where she says that a task really isn't yours unless you do the CPE, where you do the full conception, planning, and execution. So, for example, if somebody was in charge of weeknight dinners, they would have to meal prep, get the food, plan the food, and then cook the food. Like, you're not allowed to do that together, I think, because the invisible work is in the conception. And so, I don't know. It, I, I don't really get it personally. I think that it's very useful if, if, like, let's say you like meal planning, but you don't like cooking. So then why can't you do the meal planning and then the other one does the cooking? I don't really get that. Like, you could divide it. She's really, let me try to find you the thing on what she says about both, because she doesn't like when it's both. So she says, here, here. What if we're stuck? This is in the Q&A. What if we're stuck because we each do certain aspects of a card? Answer. A core tenet of fair play is a redefinition of teamwork. In order for your home to be governed by efficiency and accountability, you must negotiate who will be responsible for the entire conception, planning, and execution for the card at hand. If you're both holding a card and can't agree who will be the lead, you run the risk of falling into a both trap. The double up or the break up. More below. Here, wait, no, let, let's keep going. The double up. What could be wrong with both of you holding a particular card? Plenty. Consider this scenario. Maria and Paola receive an email from the school that the fourth grade is about to start a chemistry unit called Mystery Powders. Says I assume the cocaine uh, part of this, <laughs> of this class. Their child's teacher includes this note. Your child has been identified as having a food allergy. Since we will be experimenting with six different mystery powders, please fill out the following school form to be 100% sure your child can touch and experiment with each powder. Who's holding this card? Since the school forms card hasn't been assigned, I guess these people deserve to die for not having assigned it, Maria and Paola both unknowingly fill it out and hit submit. Doubly efficient, right? Wrong! <laughs> That's like actually what it says. Wrong! What happens next is that they each get a call from the school nurse because one of them has indicated that powder number two is unsafe while the other indicated otherwise. They must now regroup and fill out a third form, third is in italics, to clear up the allergy dispute. A day later, they argue over who should drop off the form to the school office. <laughs> The corrected form requires both their signatures and a hand delivery. Where the hell did they go to school? Fort Knox? If one of them had only filled it out initially, they would have saved a lot of time and bickering. I want to know which is the one that doesn't know the kid is allergic. Because to me, that's a bigger problem, right? One of them's like, peanut powder's okay. Maria says that. And the Powell is like, you idiot. And the kid will die. No, I'm, I'm kidding. All right. So, um... Here, wait, 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 wait. So, wait, back to, uh, I got so excited, I walked away from the book and it closed. Uh, another all-too-common double-up. Allie and Ben head to their local big box store. We like to share decision-making. It's fun spending time together. 
they claim. <laughs> what really happens? Allie takes off down aisle three with her list of basics. Ben heads off to the refrigerated section and returns with Omaha steaks and a case of ice cream sandwiches. On and on this goes until the cart is full and two, two hours? <laughs> What if this is in real life? Two hours have passed. It's not until Allie and Ben get home, relieve the grandparents of watching the baby. Whoa, like so much is going on here. And start unpacking the bags that they realize neither one remembered the diapers. Okay, man, like this is a crazy shit. So, I mean, I was talking about privilege before, but like, okay, the grandparents are watching the baby while y'all have a two hour grocery play date yourselves. I mean, and then nobody remembers the diapers. Like, you think that this problem is going to be solved by only one of these idiots going? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I think this is like, th that is extraordinarily unusual. You know, I mean, not only would the diapers be on subscribe and save, but like, what the fuck? Who has ever left their kid? Okay, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this happens all the time. Admittedly, I work with many adult children of dysfunctional families, but the idea of going on this thing and then nobody remembers the diapers and the kid is at home with the grandparents meanwhile so that you could do this wonderful thing together, I mean, it just isn't, it's nothing that I've seen. But anyway, if these people, Allie and Ben, these idiots that don't know the diapers, want to go to the fucking grocery together, why can't they go? I don't get it. That would be fun. Apparently it was so much fun they forgot the diapers. So my husband and I go grocery shopping together sometimes. Why not? You know, the, this is extremely bizarro and Maria and Paola not knowing the allergies thing and then needing the third signature. I mean, these seem like extremely strange situations that um, uh, yes, I guess they could be figured out with some common sense or or possibly just with a discussion about, you know, next time we'll remember the diapers. I mean, it sounds like there are now four caregivers for these, this child that's being babysat. So somebody else can go back out and get the diapers. Maybe them going to the grocery together was so much fun, apparently. He got his steaks, he got his ice cream, he's ready to rock, that it's worth it to them to have to go back and get the diapers. The point is, <laughs> back before I got to those examples of these alien people, um, we, the, the part that I really don't like here is the accountability thing, that this is the point, that point of your household is efficiency and accountability. There is no, nothing romantic, there is nothing tender. I wrote a whole post about like emotional labor is an ineffective way to say take care of me. What women really seem to want in this book is for the guy to say, sweetheart, I'll, I'll tell me what you want and I'll do it. But they just literally are too scared and too over-functiony and too much of people pleasers or too anxious or really raised to just never express themselves that they don't know how to say, I don't want to do the grocery shopping anymore. I can't do it. It's too much. And so then an entire book is written and I have been in this field so too long to think that people are going to keep using these cards after the first week. Usually if there is not real deep emotional change and union and that includes tenderness and a romantic connection and an intimate connection, then these sorts of systems, which she's not the first one that thought of systems, there's people that have lists of who does what, there's plenty of people who forward shit to their partner, he forwards her the school stuff, she forwards him the final finance stuff, or the house stuff, whatever. 
people have been doing this for a long time before this book came around, but when the marriage really is transformed is when people can come together and speak openly versus, um, versus being even more uh, formal, even in, a, in an overly formalized way that is uh, inflexible, that requires that really just that the family operate like a business. And all businesses are, are not like what we would want our our house to feel like. Like, yes, the son, she says at some point, the kid will learn uh, about division of labor and about a partnership. He'll learn about a partnership in one way. He'll learn about, like, you know, we are we are a working team, possibly, where there is really not much flexibility involved. And I will bet anything that the woman usually wins on what is important in these things anyway, which she usually does. You know, she cares more about certain things. But... Um, but will that child learn about love and grace and tenderness and sacrifice in a positive way? I've talked about that. I don't really know. So overall, I mean, it's great when anybody um, kind of comes up with a new and catchy way to think about things. And if you are in the Excedrin cures your migraine level of chore division, then maybe this could be an interesting thing to do. If you do it though, really focus on this as like a fun task, uh, to, to do as a date night and to just see, really do not make it like a scorekeeping tallying up. We are each bragging about what we each do. And the entire point is for the man to turn to the woman and fall on his sword and say, oh my God, you're right. Like, you know, you figuring out all the different flavors of ice cream that we want in our house is equivalent to me earning a living. It isn't, you know, and, and I mean, just flip the genders quickly to think about how, how silly it would seem for, let's say, if the woman was the primary breadwinner for if the man said, me figuring out which day color war is next week is equally as important as your uh, meeting with your boss, she would be like, fuck no, it's not. You know, and, and I've seen this happen myriad times in my office. The woman is like, um, women that are the sole breadwinner, particular, and there I have more and more of those, and even the primary breadwinner are like, um, if I do not meet with my boss, we don't make our bills, and so no, it isn't, <laughs> you know? And women are way more open about that because I guess they are allowed to be because it's considered so good and so unusual that they are the primary breadwinner, which is gonna abate because there's more and more women who are. I bet it's gonna be half and half soon. But anyway, men aren't really allowed to say that. Like my boss, my meeting with my boss is more important than you going to Target to get the Color War t-shirt. And in fact, whether our kid participates in Color War is actually globally less important than whether I keep my job. But um, I think that's commonsensical. And in a world where it's not, there's just a lot of privilege that needs to be that needs to be taken into it. And I saw plenty of critiques that talked about the privilege inherent in this book. But anyhow, if you get, get anything from it, great. Everything um, that can work for, like many, maybe you love it. Maybe you just really just adore it, which is good. But if it doesn't resonate with you and or if you're one of the myriad people that I have in my office who tried this and it didn't work, which is probably also coloring my perspective of it as I've worked with so many people that were like, but we can never decide on how to split up the cards because we can't decide on anything <laughs> because that's the problem is we don't get along. So if you are one of those people where it didn't work for you and you 
felt like some kind of freak because it didn't work, girl or man, you are not alone. It doesn't work for a lot of people. And perhaps some of the things that I brought up indicate why it may not be a good fit for all sorts of uh, marriages and perhaps also why the business-like aspect may really grate on you, particularly if you are in a marriage, as so many are, where they feel like the business part is coming really ahead of the intimacy, sexual, romantic part. But I did, I did read it quickly. I read it real quick. So maybe I'm missing the part where they have the blowjob card. And if they do, I'm going to come back and addend this. And I'm going to say, good job, Eve Rodsky. <laughs> All right. Uh, talk to everybody soon. Hope you enjoyed this. See, sometimes I do a real long one. If it's like the weekend, I got this whole book. I had to read that crazy shit with Paola. I mean, this gave you like a half hour podcast. All right. Bye, guys. Wait. There is an addendum. I did not find the blowjob card, but I thought that this one was so funny and maybe this summarizes my distaste for kind of the tone of this. Now listen to this one. You're going to get some more dramatic readings. The CPE breakup. That was conception planning execution for people in a coma that missed the first 100 times that she said it. Um, Mom says to dad on Saturday morning, Michael's mommy and me swim lesson is at the same time as Lucy's birthday party. How about you take Lucy to her friend's party and I'll take Michael to the Y? What happens? Lucy never makes it to the party because dad doesn't have the host's new address or a contact number. And when he texts mom for clarification, she's already in the pool and not checking phone messages. Wait, wait for it. His fault? No. This is a classic case of inefficient project management. As a primary cardholder of birthday celebrations, parentheses, other kids, mom took the lead on the conception planning, parentheses, asking, answering the party RSVP, managing all communication with the party planner, party planner, and buying a gift for Lucy's friend. But then at the last minute, she fell through and failed to execute by not delivering Lucy to the party on time with gift in hand. Without proper context, dad was set up to fail. And what's worse, Lucy missed out on all the fun. Now, now, <laughs> what, what, what strikes me is that it doesn't say her fault, no, and then try to make it more even. It says as though the default only thing that you would think in this moment reading this book is that he fucked up. I didn't think he fucked up. I thought that both of them fucked up, quite honestly, because she should be like, can you take Lucy to the party? Here's the party. Here's where it is. Here's the invitation. She, if anything, she fucked up and I would be like, she fucked up or both fucked up. But the entire tone of the book is like the man fucks up. He fucks all this up. He can't, he doesn't care enough. He doesn't understand enough. He's too selfish. So by even asking that situation, his fault? No. When like, if you're looking at it without that lens, you would never think that was like his fault fault necessarily but the way that she asked the question kind of is the same tone that underlies the whole thing which is pretty anti-male I in my perspective as a couples counselor so I just wanted to add that in I know maybe y'all got all excited I found the blowjob card but I have yet to find it okay talk soon